Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2017, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. And we're thrilled to announce that we've hit a milestone with this show over, um, over the last few weeks, over one million listens. That's great news for Starseeds. So tonight's show is one we've been waiting for, and it's the first in a series of shows to help Starseeds understand the critical importance of reducing electromagnetic radiation exposure. Our special guest this evening is Dr. Emil de Toffel, who created Less EMF Incorporated in 1996 as a way to apply his engineering and health science background to help the growing population of individuals concerned about the adverse effects of electromagnetic field radiation. Less EMF Inc. now offers over 300 EMF safety products from around the world, including meters, shielding, and books on the topic. And here's a quote from Dr. DeToffel. Under some circumstances, a subset of the population can actually become sensitized to EMF exposure. Neurological symptoms, difficulty sleeping, heart palpitation, ringing in the ears, and skin rashes are the most common effects we hear about. For, the, for these individuals, living and working in a typical electromagnetically polluted space becomes difficult or impossible. There is almost nowhere left to hide. Media appearances include, included radio with uh, Shadowlands with Art Bell, uh, television, John Stossel's special on 2020, and also in print in Investor's Business Daily. And his website is one you really need to visit. It is lessemf.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Jada and welcome our newest team member, Kathy, for hosting the switchboard tonight for anyone who has a question or a comment. And we are going to get right to the news here, so I am going to now introduce Anastasia with her ever-popular Starseed News. And let me get your mic open here, Anastasia. Okay, you're on. Well, hi, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed Hello. listeners. Great to be with you. Hello there. Well, we have a geomagnetic storm that is predicted. NOAA forecasters are telling us there is a 65% chance of a G1-class geomagnetic storm tomorrow when a stream of solar wind will contact the Earth's magnetic field. So there it is. And uh, we also have an incoming asteroid. We talked about that last week. Now, the Center for Near-Earth Object Studies at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena has... uh, Uh, notified us that they're watching a small asteroid. They've designated it 2012 uh, TC4. They say we'll pass safely, but very close to Earth. It will be within the moon's orbit tomorrow and the next day. Now, asteroid scientists have a plan to utilize this asteroid as a test for NASA's network uh, for global defense against asteroids. You can watch this asteroid online, by the way. There are a number of places that are going to be hosting it. 
to see it through telescope. Now, we know now that this object will pass around 30,000 miles above the Earth's surface. It's about one-eighth of the distance to the moon. It's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, wow, take this for what it's worth. This is the uh, article as I'm reporting it to you. The headline says, Scientists have finally found half of the universe's missing matter. And the article goes on to say, the missing links between galaxies have finally been found. They have just detected roughly half of the normal matter in our universe. Uh, They said it's the first detection. Now, the normal matter is protons, neutrons, and electrons. But the unaccounted matter, uh, they have not been able to find, but they say they have found it. You know, we've heard about the hunt for dark matter. Well, the article says that they have found the missing matter, a.k.a. dark matter, that it's made of particles called baryons instead of dark matter, and it says that baryons link galaxies together through filaments of hot, diffuse gas. And they say that because the gas is so tenuous and not hot enough for X-ray telescopes, nobody has been able to see it before. Apparently, they've discovered it through algorithms or some other uh, method, but not through telescopes. So they are saying now that they have found it, that they are calling it uh, hot, diffuse gas rather than dark matter. We'll see how that pans out as uh, time moves along. That was the story uh, in, uh, let's see, this was yesterday's news. Well, I wanted to share this with you, obviously. Um, Uh, This is an article from a website that says that some types of UFOs and the mysterious booms that we hear in the skies may be the secret SR-72 military aircraft. And uh, if you've seen a UFO striking across the sky faster than any normal jet is capable of, if you've heard mysterious booms that cannot be explained and that government cannot tell you what it is, Well, this article says that you may be one of the first civilians to have witnessed or experienced the long-rumored SR-72 Son of Blackbird spy plane, which has been expected for years as the replacement for the legendary uh, SR-71 Blackbird, and that's the craft that spied on the Soviet Union, North Korea, and North Vietnam, and was respected by MiG pilots who could never outpace, outclimb, or outmaneuver the Blackbirds. Well, Aerospace Daily and Defense Report has confirmed sightings of an SR-72 demonstrator or prototype that was accompanied by two T-38 jets in late July. It landed at U.S. Air Force's Plant 42 in Palmdale, California, home of the infamous Skunk Works, Lockheed Martin's Advanced Development Programs Division. Well, they say that this jet has hypersonics, and it's similar to stealth. They say that it has a disruptive technology and security classification guidance will only allow us to say the speed is greater than Mach 5. Well, according to this article, that means at least Mach 6 or at least 3,800 miles per hour and probably faster for a very very big reason that it's designed to fly both piloted and unmanned. The unmanned X-15 reached Mach 6.72. And that set the record in 1959. But this article goes on to say that the Cold War and heightened security has likely kept the U.S. military from revealing the true speed of the subsequent jets. So who knows how fast this thing goes, the SR-72. 
Well, on the Earth changes front, we've had an alert level raised due to increased seismic activity at the Luoto volcano in Indonesia. Over the past weeks, degassing and seismic activity have increased significantly, suggesting a greater likelihood of a brand new eruption, most likely in the form of sudden explosions from the summit crater. And there have been multiple ex explosions at Mexico's Popocatapetl volcano that's raising concern. As you know, Mexico City is still recovering from the 7.1 magnitude earthquake that killed over 200 people and devastated the capital. But many are now afraid that the increase in seismic activity may trigger the nearby Popocatapelo volcano. There was a series of explosions and minor eruptions that took place this week. It's uh, putting the citizens on alert because ash has been raining down over the city and the seismic activity has caused river waters to rise. Now, the official disaster monitoring agency in Mexico reports that between October 5th and 6th, a total of four major explosions were registered at the volcano. And they also recorded a minor earthquake of 3.0 on October 5th, just five days ago. And there was a very strong shallow earthquake of magnitude 6.2 in the Balany Island regions off of Antarctica, and uh, there are some pretty interesting things going on there uh, as it connects to the region because there was also a 6.6 .6 magnitude earthquake that has stricken off Bulldeer Island in Alaska. And the USGS says the quake struck east of the remote Bulldeer Island in the Aleutian Archipelago that is home to some 8,000 people. But that's not all. We had a strong, shallow 6.7 earthquake that struck near Bouvet Island in the South Atlantic. It uh, struck at a dep depth of 6.2 miles. The quake's epicenter was roughly halfway between South Africa and Antarctica. Uh, the Atlantic South of Africa is sometimes rattled by moderate earthquakes, but tremors exceeding magnitude 6 are rare. So we had uh, quite a bit of activity going on along that stretch of ocean. And uh, in California, oh my goodness, at least 1,500 structures have been destroyed by Northern California wildfires as a state of emergency has been declared. Uh, there have been uh, 14 fires that have ravaged eight counties throughout Northern California uh, late Sunday and yesterday. Uh, they say that there were at least 11 dead and more than 100 reported missing in wildfires uh, that have been raging through the wine country. Uh, Governor Jerry Brown did declare a state of emergency as multiple fires have forced thousands of evacuations uh, across the state of California. And we have another hurricane. A tropical storm, Ophelia, is poised to tie a hurricane season record that's more than 100 years old. So the 2017 hurricane season doesn't seem to be letting up just yet because yesterday, tropical storm Ophelia formed in the central Atlantic and is expected to become a hurricane this week. Now, while the storm poses no threat to land, it could become the 10th consecutive storm to grow to hurricane strength. And uh, since the 1800s, and it comes in this season that has already produced five major hurricanes, including three Category 5 storms and 15 named storms. Busy season for hurricanes. Wow. Well, I want to attribute uh, the uh, last few articles for tonight's news to a Starseed listener. I think it was Tammy. And uh, for passing this on to me, you know who you are. Wonderful website that uh, 
talks about some wonderful green innovations, and I was very excited to find it, and I want to share these stories with you. And as they come up, I'll be sharing with them with you uh, throughout weeks to come. Wonderful stories. So this is about a plastic-eating mushroom that cleans up non-biodegradable waste. I love it. And as you all know, we've talked about this on the program from time to time, that plastic doesn't go away. And of all the plastic ever manufactured, they say an estimated 8.3 billion metric tons, most of it still exists as waste somewhere in some form. And we know that much of it has ended up in the ocean. Um, They say that roughly half of all plastic turns into trash in less than a year. Think about plastic lawn chairs, plastic this, everything's plastic, right? Well, on its own, plastic typically takes a hundred years or more to degrade. Well, you know, we've talked about this before. We need to kick the plastic habit. But they say that the methods of disposability is just as toxic as the plastic itself. And so many environmentalists have been at a loss about what they can do about it. Well, nature has found a way. Or I should say researchers have discovered that nature has a way. Researchers in Pakistan have discovered a type of fungus that eats at least one type of plastic. The researchers were studying soil samples from a landfill in Islamabad when they discovered, uh, um, let's see if I can say this, guys, Aspergillus tubigenesis. And that's a mushroom that breaks down polyester polyurethane. Now, that's everywhere. That's used to make leather, adhesive, car parts, and many other products. And how does it work? Well, this little mushroom secretes enzymes that degrade the plastics, and in return, the fungus gets food from the dissolving plastic. Is that wild? That's terrific. I love it. Yeah. I love it, too. That's so far out. So I hope we hear more about that in the news to come. You know, sometimes we hear about this, these things, and then we don't, that, you know, we don't hear much about it. But we, at least we know there are alternatives, and someone is finding answers for us. And uh, on the plastic theme, this is cool. There is a campaign to ditch plastic straws that's expanding worldwide for the coming year, 2018. Now, throughout the last month, uh, the Lonely Whale Foundation, make a note of that in your mind, the Lonely Whale Foundation, excuse me, ran a campaign called Strawless in Seattle. Now, (laughs) over 100, isn't that cute? Over 100 restaurants and organizations removed plastic straws from being an option uh, to use in efforts uh, to eliminate plastic waste. They just took them off the counters. They just pulled them back. Now, I probably shouldn't confess this, but when I was young, we had paper straws. Anyway, they took the plastics off the shelves. And this movement is now going to be pushing toward other major cities around the world for a new campaign next year. Now, 19 total cities have been nominated for the Strawless Ocean Tour next year. New York City, Atlanta, Chicago, and Dallas are some of the major cities in the United States, and they'll also be looking toward Hong Kong, Amsterdam, London, and Berlin. Yahoo, that's great. The Lonely Whale Foundation. Check them out. Wonderful. Well, there is a new innovative method that pulls hydrogen fuel from seawater using only sunshine. And this is just so incredibly fascinating and wonderful and exciting. Now, hydrogen uh, has a huge potential as a clean energy source. Now, 
I'm just reporting to you what I read. I'm not really sure of the downsides of using hydrogen as an energy source, but uh, that's a subject perhaps for another time if, if it is an issue. But in any event, a hydrogen fuel cell can be used in combination with an electric motor to drive a vehicle. You know about that. They say it's quiet, it's powerful, and it's clean. And it's a solution to gas-guzzling cars. But they say that so far we haven't been able to make the fuel cells cheaply or efficiently enough. But there's a new method that might have solved the problem. A team from the University of Central Florida has developed a nanomaterial that can release hydrogen from seawater much more cheaply and efficiently than the methods they're already using. And that potentially gives us another way of unlocking the sustainable energy source. Now, this nanomaterial captures a broader spectrum of light than other materials. So it can use more of the sun's energy. And it is also specially designed to stand up to the harsh conditions found in seawater. Now, they say this technology is not ready to be released just yet, but the early tests run by the researchers are showing some promising results. Hopefully, that means that someday the ocean and the sunlight may be all that we need for a sustainable source of renewable energy. Now, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It does. So, yeah. So that's it for tonight's news. And from my heart to yours, to each and every one of you, much love. And until we meet again, have a beautiful week. It's going to be a great show tonight, Ariel. This is just something, you know, all of us have talked about and have, wow, really needed solutions too. I checked out this website. It looks terrific. So I'm looking forward to listening to this program tonight and uh, learning about what this wonderful person has to tell us. I want to thank you ahead of time for coming on. <laughs> you know, we've been we've been waiting for this too. So Anastasia, thanks so much for the Starseed News. Great show tonight. And um everyone send some loving support to the areas that are being struck by natural disasters and fires. We need to send that um healing energy to those areas and those people. So, um now we are going to bring our guest Dr. Emil de Toffel and Lavendar online. So just let me get your mics open. Oops, the screen jumped. What's the matter with this? Okay. <laughs> now those those solar flares are <laughs> wreaking havoc with computers. Okay, I think I got everything open now. All right. Well, Emil, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you here. And Lavendar, are you are you ready to go? Okay, great. So, okay. Emil, so I'm so excited to have found you and your wonderful catalog. So let's start by, by, by asking you, what made you decide to develop this company? Well, some 20 years ago, I was uh, kind of between careers and uh, looking for something to do. Uh, I had always had an interest in electromagnetic fields and their relationship to health. And at that time, the Internet was just really getting started, and so I went online and tried to find information. Uh, there was very little uh, available in terms of products or information at that time. Um, and so I decided that this is something that needs to be made available. So we started the company. Uh, we started actually at home, working from home in my living room with just a couple of products. And uh, grew it from there, now some 20 years later, into the company that we exist now. So how many products do you have now? 
Uh, I don't have an exact count, but it's well over 300. Uh, the mix of products continues to evolve and change as uh, new products are developed or we adapt products from other industries uh, for what we do. Or sometimes we lose some products as manufacturers go out of business or lose interest in manufacturing. Uh, you know, this is still there's still not uh, as much interest in the dangers of electromagnetic fields as you might think. Uh, obviously, for people who recognize that they're affected by it, either they're made ill or they know someone who's been made ill by it, uh, obviously it's a big concern for them. But for the general population, there's very tends to be very little awareness. And for those who have some awareness, they've seen a headline somewhere about the cell phones and brain tumors or so on. There's still not a whole lot of motivation to actually take some action. So it can be difficult for manufacturers of uh, electromagnetic field meters or shielding products uh, to make a go of it simply because the, the market is still quite small. Do you, do you run into uh, communities that are not allowing cell phone towers in their communities? Have you had any, any uh, word from people like that? Uh, yeah, sure we have, uh, in the sense that uh, the, the people are asking for there to be no cell phone towers in their community. The problem with that, at least in the United States, is that back in 1996, the telecommunications industry passed a law that prohibits uh, communities from denying cell phone towers on the basis of health concerns. Uh, yeah, the Telecommunica Telecommunications Act of 1996, you can look it up, and one of the provisions in there, put in there by the lobbyists, was that you cannot prevent the sighting of a tower based on health concerns, which is extraordinary, if you ask me, why anyone would be able to pass legislation that you can't oppose something because it's killing you. Uh, it's just, it, just mind-boggling. Nonetheless, that, that was accomplished way back then and still stands to this day. So while there are ways to oppose a cell phone tower in a given location, if it affects the beauty of the scenery, if it causes a drop in property values, if it interferes with aviation, uh, you know, there's a couple of reasons why you can uh, uh, resist the sighting of a tower in a specific location. Health concerns is not one of them. So people need to be aware of that if they're going to a town meeting, uh, in a town hall meeting in their community, uh, there's a proposed cell phone tower going up near their home. Don't bother going in there with fistfuls of uh, scientific research on the health effects of electromagnetic fields from cell towers. It won't be useful to your town board. They'll need other ammunition if they're going to mount a successful opposition. You know, one of the things that distresses me the most is when I see cell phone towers on top of hospitals and on top of schools. Yes, right. They will put them there because it's very convenient, a public space, uh, generally centrally located, uh, giving good access for cell service, but at the same time, putting it near our most vulnerable populations, our children, our ill and elderly, and so it seems ridiculous. In addition, there's uh, towers, you know, hidden in church steeples, um, on top of fire stations and police stations. And so, you know, they're, they're, they tuck them wherever it's convenient to tuck them, again, with uh, impunity in terms of the concern for the health effects. 
you know, uh, here in southwest Oklahoma, they put four um, cell phone towers on the water tower of this little town over there, and a lot of the people now have cancer in that town. Ah, I'm sorry to hear it. Yeah. So it's like, it's yeah, it's insidious. So tell us more about how to to shield ourselves. Give us some some uh, product information or anything that you want to share with us that are going to help us to understand more about how we can protect ourselves from these dangerous electromagnetics. Sure, I'd be happy to. Let me just begin with just a quick summary of what electromagnetic fields are so that the audience understands and can be on the same page as we discuss this. When okay. we think about electromagnetic fields that we're going to encounter in a home or office or stores, you know, a common location, there's three things that we're going to be thinking. Well, there's four things that we're going to be thinking about. The first one is electric fields and magnetic fields. This is the radiation that comes wherever you have electricity. So your wiring, your lighting, your appliances, your computers, and so on, even your car. When electricity flows through, through a wire or through a machine, it produces a magnetic field. When there's a voltage present, it produces an electric field. So there's two different phenomena that come out of the presence of electricity. These are low frequency here in, in North America, it's 60 hertz, and they both have a biological impact. It's different for the electric fields compared to the magnetic fields, but they both have a biological impact you use different equipment to measure them, and you use different techniques to shield them. So that's the first two types of EMF that we're going to encounter. The third type is called radio waves, or sometimes called microwaves. So this is higher frequency radiation. This is the kind of thing that comes out of your cell phone or out of a cell phone tower. It's the same radiation that's used in Wi-Fi. It's the same radiation that's used in your microwave oven, exactly the same. So anytime you have a wireless communication, whether it's a walkie-talkie or a cell phone, a TV or radio station, uh, an air, airplane communication system, any of those, they're all using microwaves or radio waves. This is high frequency, usually in the megahertz or gigahertz uh, frequency range. And again, this has, uh, again, has biological impact. It's been studied now for at least 80 years, going way back to World War II when radar was uh, being perfected, and, uh, it, and again, it is measured with different kinds of equipment and has its own unique ways of shielding. So those are the first three primary ways that we're going to think about EMFs. The fourth way is uh, called dirty electricity, and this is a, a more recent development in which high-frequency signals are getting injected into the wiring of our buildings, of our homes and offices, from the things that we have plugged in. So whether they're plasma TVs, fluorescent lights, dimmer switches, or all of those chargers we use to charge our computers and charge our cell phones, these things uh, push back into the wiring uh, a kilohertz range frequency that then travels throughout the wiring of the building and is broadcast throughout the wiring, from the wiring of the building. And it has a unique and very powerful biological impact that's very irritating. And so once again, we have a separate way of measuring it, a different type of equipment to measure it, and a, and a unique way of dealing with it that's different from the other three types of EMF. We'll talk about each of these types as we go. 
So remember the four types, electric and magnetic fields, radio waves, and dirty electricity. All right, whenever we think about, uh, uh, well, uh, let me start here. When we get a call from someone who says, you know, I'm concerned about EMFs in, in, the, in my home, the sensible place to start would be to get a meter and start making some measurements because every home is going to have a unique electromagnetic signature in it. You're going to have different wiring. You're going to have different appliances. You're going to have different uh, location in your community. So the electromagnetic fields in your home is going to be different from your neighbor or from your cousin across town. Um, and so while there might be some common and obvious things that you might want to deal with, let's say your uh, Wi-Fi router, there's going to be lots of things that you're not aware of that might be a bigger problem than the one that you're thinking of. So it's always prudent to start with getting a meter and making some measurements to determine, A, do I have a strong electromagnetic fields? B, what kind? You know, is it electric fields, magnetic fields, and so on? And C, where is it coming from? Is it coming from my toaster? Is it coming from my dishwasher? Is it coming from my computer? Because you can spend a lot of time and a lot of money treating the wrong problem uh, if you don't measure. I mean, you can guess all day long. People will call us up and ask us to guess how, you know, how much radiation am I getting from my, you know, from my doorbell or from my TV set. And, and of course, we don't know. The only way to know is to measure. We, uh, we said about a campaign, oh, many years ago, we were getting calls so often for what, this was back in the days when computers had those cathode ray tubes, the big bulky monitors. What was a good low EMF monitor to use? So we went to the stores, we went to one of those big electronic stores that had shelves, rows and rows of different monitors, and we measured them. We brought our meters to the store and got the cooperation of the salespeople, and we measured all the different ones and found one that was the lowest of all. And so we made a point of telling people, okay, this is a model that we found that was a good low EMF model. And that was useful for a couple of weeks because what we found is that in this world of technology, disposable technology, when in a very short time that model was no longer available, some other models had come along, even from the same manufacturer, and all the numbers now were different, and we hadn't measured all the, all the things that were on the shelf now. So I bring up this story because, again, if your friend did something in their home to improve their electromagnetic environment, it may or may not be relevant to your home. And the only way for you to know is to start by measuring. If you're looking to, to measure, there are lots of meters available. If you go to the lessemf.com website, you'll see we have pages and pages of different meters. Meters to measure electric field, meters to measure magnetic, meters to measure radio waves and some meters that can measure more than one thing, uh, they, some that can do all three, for example. So uh, you don't have to get a fancy piece of equipment. You don't need research-grade information here. What you need is an instrument that will cover the bases, you know, the, what are the likely things that you're going to find in your home, and uh, that's going to tell you, is it high or not high? I mean, basically, that's what you need to know, really. You know, if it's... if, if if three is the acceptable level and you're getting 
readings of 150, it doesn't really matter if it's 151 or 158. It's still way too high. So the point is, is, is am I getting high readings or not? And the, and the reason I bring this up is you don't need a sophisticated or expensive piece of equipment. We have meters for under $200 that will enable you to measure all three types of the EMF, you know, electric, magnetic, and radio waves. And to measure dirty electricity, there's a very simple meter that you just go around and plug into the outlets in your home. And it'll give you a number tell you how much dirty electricity there is on the circuits. And that runs you less than $100. So for a couple hundred dollars, you can get a set of meters that will allow you to diagnose all the EMFs that you're likely to encounter, whether it's in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your car, at your workplace, in the library, at your kid's school, anywhere you want to go. You'd be amazed at what you find. I, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, and I never cease to be amazed at what I find when I take a meter and go to Walmart or take a meter and go to the post office or take a meter and go to a friend's house and help them sort out what's going on there. We, uh, we were asked some years ago to go to the home of a woman who was uh, battling with cervical cancer. So she was trying to do all the kind of things to improve her health and improve her environment. She was doing nutrition things and doing exercise things, and, and she decided she wanted to, do, to take a look at the EMF environment in her home. And we went, and I took the meters, and I went to her home, and I looked around. We checked this, we checked that, and actually things weren't that bad for the most part as to what we found. Until I went into the kitchen... It was a small kitchen. It was a New York City apartment there. It was a small, a fairly tight space kitchen with not a lot of room to move around. The uh, dishwasher was placed under the countertop of what was virtually the only counter space in that kitchen. The interesting thing is as we passed by that area, there was an intense magnetic field coming from the display portion of the dishwasher. Now, the dishwasher wasn't running at the time. It was just there, idle, and yet there was this intense magnetic field right at the pelvic height of where she stood to do all of her food preparation. So, you know, having found this, whether or not that was related to her illness, I couldn't say for sure, but it's definitely something she wanted to do something about. So, you know, there's no way you could have predicted this or, or guessed this over the phone in conversation with her or anything. You have to go to the home with the meters and, and take a look and see what's going on. There are some people around the country who do this as a service. We maintain a list of these folks, so if people want to call us, uh, we'd be happy to see if there's someone in your area. There's not a lot of them, so there's not going to be one in every town. But they, t they do travel, and uh, chances are good that we can find someone close enough that if you want to hire them to come to your home and help you diagnose, if you don't want to get the meters yourself, give us a call. Uh, we're open weekdays from 9 to 5, New York time, so don't call now because the office is closed. But we'd be happy to guide you on that. Uh, the cost of having someone come and do that service is more than what you'll pay to own your, your own meters, uh, but, you know, if, you're, uh, if you prefer that, that's certainly possible. I, I want to just say, too, though, that if you do that, it can be great, 
But then a year from now, if things change, you got a new TV or you've done some shielding or some other mitigation to reduce EMFs, you won't really have a way to check unless you hire them to come back again. So having your own meter can be a great asset. And as well, you can get your family together, maybe uh, your local community, your neighborhood together, and everyone can chip in and get some meters that you can all share. I mean, it's not something you need to do every day. People can share them, borrow them, pass them around. Uh, we've had a lot of people do that as well. So those are, so that's the starting point, is to diagnose your home, diagnose your environment, and see what you have going on there. No point in shielding your windows if the problem is your dishwasher, right? And no point in shielding your dishwasher if the problem is the cell tower radiation coming in through your windows. So having said that, there's lots of possible problems that you could find in a home. I've mentioned a couple in passing here. Uh, but you may find that there's wiring in the wall that may be passing directly uh, behind the bed where the headboard is so that your head, while you're sleeping, you're in that place some eight hours a day, uh, may be exposed to the electric and magnetic fields coming from that wiring in the wall. It may be that you've got a microwave oven in the home. Microwave ovens are a disaster in terms of electromagnetic fields. They emit strong fields even when they're idle. But when you turn them on, they produce an intense magnetic field that can be detected clearly across the room, as well as they leak the microwaves, uh, uh, some worse than others. The, there's a legal limit of how much a microwave can leak. It's, it's set at uh, 5 milliwatts per square centimeters at 2 inches from the surface of the, of the microwave oven. This is a lot of radiation. Of course, we don't spend a lot of time at two inches from the surface of the microwave oven, but it raises the, the point that you never, ever want to stand next to the oven while it's operating, and you never want to let your children watch the popcorn popping in there while, while their little faces are pressed up against the window of the microwave oven. Distance can be your friend. Distance is going to be one of the strategies we're going to talk about for, for mitigating or reducing your EMF exposure. You know, Emil, several years ago here in Oklahoma, we had a nurse that put uh, some blood in a microwave for like five seconds, and she gave it to this patient, and the patient died. Oh, my goodness. Why would she put it in the microwave oven? She wanted to heat it up. Oh, my goodness. I see. Yeah, it's interesting. If you take some uh, seeds, uh, uh, like if you um, sprout uh, bean sprouts, you take some of these seeds, you soak them, and you take some of them and put them in the microwave oven, put some of them right near the door of the microwave oven, and put a third group of them nowhere near the microwave oven. You run the oven for a few seconds, and then you plant these seeds. You will see a difference in the germination rate of the three plants. It's a great uh, science fair project, but it's also a very dramatic way to see the injury that's done to cells when they're exposed to uh, microwave radiation. So after I, I, I heard about that, I got rid of my microwave. That was it. So I haven't had a microwave for over 15 years. Good for you. If people are out there and they have a microwave oven, the best place for it is out at the curb on trash night. Yeah. If Absolutely. it's built in, if it's built in, 
and you don't want to leave a hole there, it's okay to leave the microwave oven, but unplug it. Find out where it's plugged in, or if necessary, go to the circuit breaker box and shut off that circuit. Because anything that's got those lighted displays on it, whether it's your microwave oven, your range top, your dishwasher, your washing machine, they're going to be emitting a strong field from those displays. They're never, they're never off, even when they're off. Tell us about some of the, the products that you have to help people with their, their cell phones and their computers. I think that we have a pretty awake audience, and, and I've talked to a lot of clients that are saying, we just need more products to help protect us from what's going on here. So mm-hmm. I've had a lot of those people join and listen to the show tonight, so please tell us the, what the products are. Great, I'd be happy to. Remember that there are three basic strategies for reducing your EMF exposure. The first one we hinted at already, increase your distance from the source. Whenever you can, whenever you're aware of a source, increase your distance from it. Move that source away from the people or move yourself away from the source. Uh, It was a couple of months ago we went to a, a restaurant. They seated us at this lovely table. And as I turned around to look over my shoulder, I saw the Wi-Fi router immediately behind me on the shelf. I asked for a different table so that we could be further away from it. Sometimes, you know, you're not in a position to ask the restaurant to remove the Wi-Fi router. But increase your distance from the source. You reduce your exposure through distance. Just like the heat from a candle, the closer you get to it, the more intense that heat is, and the further away you get, the less. The second strategy is to turn off the source of the radiation. So this might be getting rid of it, like getting rid of your microwave oven. It might mean putting it on a switch so you can turn it off, which is what the woman with the dishwasher did. She was running that dishwasher only at night. Just before bedtime, she would turn it on and then go to bed. So it really only needed to be energized from 11 o'clock at night till 1 o'clock in the morning or so when it ran. And so she put it on a switch that had a timer built in. So the switch would come on at uh, 10.30 or so, giving energy to the dishwasher. She would run it. The dishwasher would run. And after the dishwasher was done, the timer would shut off the electricity to the dishwasher. So all the rest of the day, there would be no energy there. There'd be no EMFs coming out of the dishwasher. So get, get rid of it, put it on a switch, turn it off or replace it with a lower-emission alternative. So uh, that's the second strategy. The third strategy, then, is going to be to put some shielding. So you asked about shielding for cell phones and and computers. So let's start there. For cell phones, of course, you can use uh, all three of these strategies with your cell phone. Using increasing your distance, of course, people will, will recognize immediately that you can use the speakerphone function to keep the phone away from your body when you're, when you're talking on the phone. Uh, texting has been uh, actually a help in terms of reducing people's exposure because now instead of talking on the phone and having it up against their ear, they're holding the phone in their hands, uh, which at least gets it away from the head. But... <laughs> The way most people hold it probably puts it closer to their reproductive area than, uh, than they might uh, be well to do. But nonetheless, keeping the phone away from your body by using a, a speakerphone or a headset is a great way to reduce your exposure. We offer a special headset using an air tube to conduct the sound. 
you'll notice if you use a headset that has a wire that goes up to the uh, ear, that the wire can act as an antenna and pick up the microwave radiation that the cell phone produces and then transmit it right into the earpiece. So you're, once again, you've got that radiation right there at your head. Using an air tube headset means that there's an air tube which brings the sound up to your ear. There's no wires, no speaker, no speaker electronics or any of that up by the head. So there's no radiation immediately up by the head. Now, I want to stress right away that if you use a headset or you use a speakerphone and you keep the phone near your body, you haven't really accomplished much. So don't keep the phone in your pocket or lay it on your belly or anywhere else near your body while you're talking on it. Hold the phone out away from your body or set it down on the counter or on the seat next to you. And using that extra two or three feet of distance will reduce your radiation exposure a thousandfold compared to holding that, that phone up to your head or up to your body. So headsets would be the number, number one uh, option you have for reducing exposure from cell phones. The second option is going to be to use a shielded case or a pouch to keep the phone in. Shielded cases are available in a variety of styles and colors, fashions, uh, of course, different um, sizes for different uh, models of cell phones, and they're typically shielded on one side. Now, this is an important consideration, of course. If you completely shield a case and put your cell phone in it so that the radiation can no longer come out, of course, the phone doesn't work. So you might as well just turn it off or, or not have the phone with you under those circumstances. When you shield the case on one side, the radiation can still get out the other side, and the phone can still work, but you're shielded, uh, you're reducing the radiation in one direction. So naturally, you put the shield between you and the, your body and the phone, and you've reduced your radiation exposure. So if you have to carry the phone with you, whether it's in your pocket or in your purse or even in your hand, uh, you can use a shielded case to keep and store the phone in, and uh, some cases are designed even so that you can speak through the case so you can hold the phone up to your head if you had to uh, and still be shielded. Uh, your head can still be shielded while you're on the call. So headsets and uh, shielded cases are a great way to reduce your exposure from a cell phone. Uh, choosing a phone with a lower emissions in the first place is also a great strategy. Remember uh, the, the strategy of turning off, right? reducing your exposure by turning off or getting rid of or getting a lower EMF alternative. So there are some websites out there that will rate the SAR value, specific absorption rate of your phone. This is a test that's done. Every phone has it. There's a, a rating. It's, it's printed on the literature that comes with your phone, what the SAR value is. And it's how much radiation is absorbed by a volume of living tissue in, placed in proximity to your phone. In a sense, it's a way of measuring how much radiation your phone puts out. So you want to find a phone with a lower SAR value. Phones with higher SAR values are putting out more radiation. So yet again, one more strategy to consider. If you're shopping for a phone, ask about the SAR value. Go onto the web and look at SAR values of various phones and find a model that's going to give you a lower SAR value. So there you have several strategies. Uh, I guess the, the, the one that we didn't talk about is 
reducing your exposure by reducing your time spent on your phone, right? So uh, if you must have... How about computers? What do you have to put over your computers to shield the the energy? Right. So computers now, uh, of course, are several different devices. We have laptops, we have desktops, we have tablets. And each component has its own unique electromagnetic signature. There's going to be some that are high electric fields, some that are high magnetic fields, some that are high with um, microwave radiation, right, with the Wi-Fi signal. So, again, it would be important for you to diagnose your computer to see which, what kind of radiation you've got and which components are producing it. Having said that, there's lots of different ways to shield for a computer. Let's take a laptop, for example. A laptop is, we think, in terms of EMF, we think of two different components, the base or the keyboard part, and then the, the monitor, the screen part. The base is going to be producing strong electric and magnetic fields. The monitor is going to be producing electric fields, and it's typically where the Wi-Fi antenna is located, so you're going to have the microwaves coming out, usually out of the top of the monitor. So a couple of strategies. One, can we turn it off? A, turn off the computer when it's not in use. B, turn off the Wi-Fi and run a Cat5 cable to the computer for your internet connection. Doing so immediately reduces the, the radiation output from the computer. Wait a minute, say that again, say that part again. Sure, for internet connection, you can use Wi-Fi or you can connect a wire to the laptop. A wire is called Cat5 or Cat6 cable. It's a special kind of cable that runs from your computer to your router to give you internet connection. So okay. the the best the best way to reduce the the Wi-Fi radiation from your laptop is to run a run a cable and turn off the Wi-Fi. You know how on a phone you can set it into airplane mode. Well, on a, on a laptop you can do the same thing. You set it into airplane mode, and it's not no longer using the Wi-Fi. Of course, then you have to have the wire so that you can have the internet connection. Okay. Right, so that's that's strategy number one. Strategy number two is to increase your distance from your body to the, to the laptop. So don't put the laptop on your lap. At the very least, put it on the table or counter, and now you're at least at arm's length, um, and you've reduced your exposure through the use of distance. A further strategy for that is to get a remote keyboard and mouse that you can plug into the laptop so you can push the laptop further away still. So maybe it can be two feet, three feet away. You can still see it plenty easily, and you've reduced your exposure further still. Very simple. Things you can find, we offer them for sure, but you can find these locally as well, remote uh, keyboards and remote mouse. What I would encourage people to think about is that when it comes to the mouse, there's two types. There's the optical mouse, those kinds that put out that red light underneath and there's the older style ball mouse that have that roller ball at the bottom of them. The optical mice put out a much stronger electromagnetic field, so again, choosing a device that has a lower EMF emissions to start with, um, choose the ball mouse. They're hard to find uh, because uh, manufacturers pretty much stopped making them. We have a good supply of them, so if anybody wants them, you can certainly get them from us. 
All right, in terms of the laptop then, if you want to take it even further, you can shield both the base of the laptop, the keyboard part, and the monitor. There's a device called the wrap top, which is a shielded device that you put the, mm, the base of the laptop into. It goes under, uh, uh, across the front of the laptop, and then over the keyboard. So it almost looks like a, uh, a book cover, if you will, without the pages in it. And this slides onto the base of the keyboard. And this will shield the strong magnetic fields coming from the base of the keyboard. Of course, now you can't type on the keyboard anymore. You're going to be using that remote keyboard that we mentioned a moment ago. But you've effectively – and by the way, the remote keyboard produces a, a, a minuscule amount of EMF compared to the, what's coming out of the laptop. Because the laptop base is not just a keyboard, right? It's the entire computer. There's the processor in there, the um, transformer, and all the other electronics are in that base of the, of the laptop. So the laptop to, to shield the base – and then there is a monitor screen shield, a transparent shield that you can put in front of the monitor. These are made custom-made to the size of your monitor. They're not expensive. It simply sits in, on the front of the monitor, and it will shield the microwaves from the Wi-Fi and the electric fields coming out of the monitor. And you can see all of these items at lessemf.com. Go into the section of computer shielding, and you'll see them there. As well, if you have a desktop computer, the, the monitor screen shield works on those monitors as well. And there are shields for the tower, shields for the keyboard. Uh, there's as well, there's shielded gloves if your hand is bothered by either the keypad or the mouse. Um, and there are even shielded uh, face screens that you can wear, shielded eyeglasses, shielded face screens and shielded garments that you can wear to protect your body. If your face, uh, we, we often hear people who feel that their face is burning when they're using their computer, or their hands are burning when they're using their computer mouse, and these garments can help to reduce that if you have to use your computer for work or f for communication. So there's several strategies to be used when you're dealing with any source, but specifically with cell phones and with computers. Uh, you can do. You can choose any one or more of these, depending on how far you want to take it. It also depends a little bit on what kind of radiation is coming out of your specific model. I say that because there's an important distinction to be made. For example, uh, the um, Apple all-in-one computers that have the computer uh, processor mounted to the back of the computer screen. These put out the most, we find, uh, electromagnetic fields, because everything, the entire computer system is right there at your face. Um, and by the way, uh, you, can, you can put a shield on the, on the screen of, the, of that all-in-one, but the shield, these transparent shields will only handle the electric field and the microwaves. They won't shield the magnetic field part. Uh, and so the, the only way to, if you have one of these, the best way to deal with it is either replace it or get an external keyboard, mouse, and monitor so that you use your all-in-one just as a processor, just as you would have used a desktop computer, and you can move it further away from where you're sitting. Wow. This is such 
great information. I'm I'm just thrilled to have you on the show, and I know that our time is, is running close here, but I do want to uh, ask you if you will come back at some point in time and talk to us again, and, and I'm hoping that, that I'll be able to find um, other um, people in your industry to come and talk to us in the next two weeks. We're going to have the next two weeks devoted to uh, information about the electromagnetic field and what's happening with us star seeds on the planet. At this time, I'd like to uh, ask my co-host to come on the line, Ariel. Yes. And would you maybe take one or two phone calls that we have? I know that you, you're pressed for time, but I really would love to give our listeners an opportunity to speak to you if you have just a couple more minutes. That'd be wonderful, sure. Okay, so back to you, okay. Ariel. And, Emil, thank you so much, and I'll be talking to you uh, by phone this week. Okay, thank you. Good. Great. Oh, this is just such a huge field. Uh, I know there's an awful lot of information that um, that you've got. And at this time, if anyone who is already on the switchboard, if you have a question, um, please press 1 on your keypad so that we know you want to come on the air. And if you are listening on the computer, just pick up the phone and dial 917-889. 8292, and then once you're in, press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. So um, while we're waiting to see if we have any uh, callers for you, I want to just ask a, a couple of questions myself. And sure. um, Because, I mean, I was looking at your website, and I felt like a kid in a candy store because this is really um, a lot of starseeds deal with um, sensitivity to electromagnetics and um, there's just I mean you've got clothing meters books all kinds of gadgets and devices and from what I read on your website that um, you're really um, discerning when it comes to whose products you will um, carry because yeah, obviously that's, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Because there's a lot of products out there that are making claims that mm, may seem fantastic, and and they may be fantastic. Our criteria for a product is that you can measure the the change in the electromagnetic fields with a meter. So if a product claims to reduce your exposure, you have to be able to see that on a meter. Uh, I, I've seen stickers and ladybugs and uh, pendants and wristbands and various things that make claims about harmonizing the electromagnetic field or making the electromagnetic field, uh, not removing it, but making it harmless and so on. But there's no way to validate these things uh, objectively, in other words, with a meter. You'll notice when you look at the scientific research behind these products that they uh, will usually be anecdotal. They'll have people who say, oh, I felt better when I used it, or um, they'll, they'll use uh, blood cell analysis or some other indirect way to measure. So we keep it black and white. If it's not reducing your electromagnetic field exposure, it's not going to be in our catalog. Yeah, I was so glad to see that because there. I mean, you're right. There are there are so many um, things out there um, that are. I, when I read them, I, I just like, well, can you prove that? Can you, you know, can you measure that? Can you show me the results? Because 
you know, the anecdotal things, um, you know, people say that placebos help them, you know, in medical studies. So um, I was really glad to see that you do um, have a a tight screening of um, valid products. And let me me rush to add that we're open to the possibility that there's some things that we don't understand about electromagnetic fields and that there may be devices that work in ways that we don't understand and can't measure yet. So I'm I'm open to that possibility, but those things aren't going to find their way into our product selection until such time as you can show it. Right, right. Um, I had... Listening to you, to what uh, you were saying, I had read um, uh, a science fair thing where uh, some like twelve-year-old kid um, grew seeds. They were all germinated equally. Put them in the little, you know, little planter pots, and uh, some of them was just, um, you know, water from the tap, and the others were watered with water that had been in the microwave, heated and then cooled, and then put on the plants. And the the visual difference was shocking. Just yeah, shocking. it's interesting that the right that microwaves have a direct effect on the cells. They have also an effect on water molecules, whether they're in the cells already, part of our body, or mm-hmm. in uh, in a glass, which is uh, in the microwave oven. It changes the way that the molecules of water interact with each other. You know, the molecules of water are not inert to each other. They're polar. They tend to line up and clump and so on. And when you shake them up with microwaves, it changes the way that they relate to each other. And when you water plants with this microwaved water, it can affect how well the plant can absorb the water and how well that water can carry nutrients to the plant and how well that water can distribute those nutrients within the plant. So there's, there's a lot going on in terms of how electromagnetic fields affect our biology. It's not just that the electromagnetic fields are breaking our DNA, which they do, um, and it's not just that they're uh, causing heating, which they do, but they have much more subtle effects, uh, for example, on the cell membrane. Uh, Recent research by Dr. Martin Paul has shown that the uh, calcium channels, these are uh, biochemical pathways through the cell membrane that control the way calcium is entered or rejected from the cell, are affected by exposure to microwave radiation, even very weak microwave radiation. So when you start to affect the way the cell can take care of itself, the way the cell can maintain its homeostasis, the way it can maintain its health, the way it can excrete toxins or take in nutrients, you, you can. it's not a big leap of imagination to see how this can lead to uh, an imbalance in that cell, which can lead to a, a loss of health in that cell. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just going to ask you one more question, and uh, I don't I don't see any anybody coming on with a, a question, so I'll take the time for myself. Uh, would you talk about um, the EMF effects and the well the greater danger for children? I've read a right. lot about about children whose skulls are not as thick as an adult. And when I see children getting off the bus and they're all, you know, on the cell phones, and, I mean, it it does something to me. <laughs> like, there goes our future. Um, but yeah, you you're talk absolutely. About, 
Yes. Talk about uh, yeah, gladly. children. You're absolutely right. There's two issues going on with children. One that you mentioned already, that their bodies are smaller so that there's a deeper penetration of the radiation. Uh, to give you an example, if you have a cell phone and you're putting it up to your head, and the in, like just make up an example here, the intensity of the radiation, let's say, penetrates three inches into your head, into your brain. In an adult, that would put it somewhere halfway through the brain. In a child whose head is smaller, that radiation, that same three inches of penetration now puts it almost three-quarters of the way through the child's head. So just because the child is smaller, the radiation now penetrates to deeper tissues and has a chance to do deeper damage. So that's number one. Number two is, of course, as we all know, children and fetuses uh, are developing and their developing cells are more sensitive to environmental toxins just because of the rapid growth and development. So uh, take an infant who's had cell phone exposure since conception, or realistically even before conception as the parents are carrying uh, their cell phones in their pockets uh, and, and using their cell phones near their bodies, that these cells now, from conception onward, have been exposed to this microwave radiation and can be having effects on the cells, on the cell membranes, on the DNA within the cells. And so we don't just have exposure while the child is using the phone. We have a lifetime exposure, almost akin to secondhand smoke, where the children uh, have been exposed to uh, the smoke from parents from even before they were born and through childhood. So it's the same concept that the, the longer the exposure time, right, the, the greater the chance there is of a health effect. And so now we have a, a generation or two by now of children who have been raised in a bath of electromagnetic fields that is unprecedented in human history. And the consequences are sure to be grave and are sure to be showing up as they begin to age. Yeah, it, it just, you know, those children are the hope for the future. And the thing that gets me is that here you here you go, have a cell phone, and um, and it's going, <laughs> it's going to cause you some health problems. And by the way, don't forget to pay your bill. <laughs> just it does something to me that you know we're being harmed and we're paying for it voluntarily. So um, we're clamoring. We're we're standing in line to get these things. We're camping out overnight to get the newest version. It's uh it's bizarre beyond belief to to my way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. It it's it's really it's getting out of hand, which is why I'm so happy that you were um, able to be with us tonight. Um, and, of course, now we've got people that are calling in, but if you have to go, we certainly understand. I can stay on a few minutes if you like. Okay. Well, um, I, will take, I will take the first call that comes out of the screening room, and, um, and oh, I've got both of our switchboard hosts in there, so they can't hear me. But it will just be um, a few seconds, and they'll be out. We'll take one of those questions and... Um, I so appreciate your generosity with your time. This is such an important topic, and, and it, it, it really affects everyone, um, everyone in the world. But I know in other countries they are uh, 
a, a little bit more progressive than we are, and they're starting to say no. Um, you know, you can't have Wi-Fi in schools. Yeah, you know right. that 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 kind of thing. We're a long right. ways from that because the, the wireless industry is. That. Yeah, the wireless industry is right up there with the pharmaceutical company. So, right. um, okay, so we have a, a caller that is just about ready to come out of the screening room, and she wants to know um, your recommendation for a uh, low, what is considered a low SAR number for for cell phones. So as soon as she gets out, um, you can answer that question. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have to come back at some point because there's just so much more to talk about. And this is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Okay, so Deborah is out of the screening room. And um, let me get your mic open. Okay, Deborah, you are on the air with Dr. Emil. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, and thank you for this very, very valuable information. Um, you know, some of us just keep scratching around and don't seem to get answers, and you've been really, really thorough and informational, so thank you. My You're first question, yeah, My first question is, so what is considered a low uh, number for the SAR value on the cell phones? Yeah, that's a good question. The, a low number is zero. But, of okay. course, there is, there is no phone that's going to have zero because in order for a phone to work, it's got to put out radiation. Okay. Um, so you, you, you go as low as you can, right? So, so if you go to our website and go to the news and links section, you're going to see lots of links there. But there's a, a category called cell phone, and one of uh, the first links in that section is a link to a, a website that lists the SAR values for a variety of cell phone models. Go there, and you can look, and you'll see the range going from, you know, very low to quite high and everything in between. So if you already have a phone, you can see where it stacks up against other phones. If you're shopping for a phone, you can take the, you know, the lowest five or six models there and see which of those uh, best suits what how you use your phone. But I, I don't have a specific number to give you because zero is the only rational okay. number. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> what, would be, what would be considered a, a really high number? Anything I mean, above zero. Uh, honestly, anything above zero. Um, okay. Okay, yeah. so that makes sense too. Just, you know, just, just want to cover that base. I have a second question for you. It's a little more sure. personal in nature. Um, I, I live in an apartment complex and didn't realize until after I moved in that on my bedroom wall, I've got six electrical meters for the other casitas that are, um, you know, in the, my little block here. Um, they're not smart, smart meters yet. But I, um, so I've been aware, but I don't know how to block that because it's, it's in my bedroom. I, I don't have my head, my bed on that wall. It's a, a yeah. distance from it. But I, I noticed about, and I've been here two years, I noticed about six months ago that I've developed this little strange rash under my eye. It's really minor, uh-huh. but, it's, but it, it never goes away, it seems. It moves from eye to eye, and I've eliminated every single thing out of my diet that could be a possible culprit, and nothing shows up. And I'm just wondering, right. is that a symptom of, like, you know, of, of, uh, of that EMF overdose, if you will? It could, it could be. It's not a typical symptom. Uh, more okay. typical symptoms would be neurologic, so headaches, sleeplessness, irritability, uh, inability to concentrate, that sort of thing are more typical. But skin okay. rashes are certainly a symptom of electromagnetic fields. And so if you're getting this near your eyes or elsewhere on your face, it's certainly possible that it's related. Uh, 
Um, okay. I would go back to the beginning of our conversation and suggest that you get a meter and start making some measurements to find oh, out. I'm calling tomorrow. <laughs> good. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> because you may get lucky and find out that the levels are low at night because the, le- the EMF levels from your uh, power meters are going to vary with how much electricity is being used. Right, oh, so when everybody's sense. sleeping at night, it might be less. Although if it's you know everybody's got their air conditioners running or dehumidifiers or who knows what, it might be high at night too. So make some measurements. Find out is it high, and uh, and by all means make the measurements at night when you're okay, likely yeah. to be in the room, right? Um, yeah. And if it's high, you can shield that wall. There are shielding materials that you can use put up on that wall to shield the magnetic fields coming off of those uh, electricity meters and the wiring that's going to them. Um, okay, while and, you're and what would that be? What, what kind of shielding would yep, that be? For, that... for magnetic fields, it's going to be a, a special type of metal plate that you're going to put on the wall. Metal plate okay. for shielding magnetic fields. And the amount and, of and, and wall that, like that you're going to cover... Yeah, the amount of wall that you're going to cover is going to depend on what you find with your meter. So what I mean by that is you're going to take your EMF meter and you're going to hold it up to the wall and you're going to kind of sweep over the surface of the wall and make a map, if you will, of, of the readings of, mag- of magnetic field on that wall. And what you'll find is that there will be hot spots and then the fields will decrease with distance as you move away from those hot spots. You're going to need to cover all of that wall that's above a certain level. We recommend three milligauss. So any much of that wall that reads above three milligauss will be covered with the shielding material. Okay. Okay, great. God, that's good to know. So I feel better already. Good. Good. Uh, If you can, if you can, move your bed to the other side of the room for tonight at least. Yeah, well, I I have it on the other side of the room, but it's it's not a big room, you know. Yeah, I got you. Sure. But listen, right. thank you so much. Your information has been so valuable and, and, and concise and condensed, you know. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. That's all okay. I have Thanks for right so much. now, but I'll, I'll call in tomorrow. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. Uh, Thanks by so by much the way, if you don't me. mind, I'll give the phone number <clears throat> for those who don't yeah. have it. It's a, it's a toll-free. It's 888, not 800, but 888-LESS-E-M-F. That's L E S S. E-M-F, 888-LESS-E-M-F. Yep, we're there from 9 to 5 weekdays, New York time. Okay, perfect. Thank you again. Great. Thanks so much for calling, Deborah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And um, also, um, is there uh, contact information? Because we have a a caller that we're not going to be able to get to. So is there, um, if she goes on the website... Is there a um, you know an info or something at lessemf.com? Yeah, if you want to email us, the, yeah, the email address is lessemf at lessemf.com. Easy oh, to that's easy enough. Yep. Sure. Okay, so they can call, they can email for further um, questions and recommendations on your products and your catalog. Sure. And sure, and they can certainly you. go on the website. There's lots of information there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I saw hats, wall paint, um, house paint, um, yep. all kinds of stuff. So Can- um, everyone have to put fun. over beds. Sure. A canopy to put on a bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Right. 
Yeah, so you can like sleep in your own little um, tent <laughs> of yeah, protection. Yeah, right. That's right. Oh, that's so great. almost like mosquito netting, but it's made out of a, a special shielding fabric to keep the microwaves out. So if you wow. if you happen to live near your neighbor's Wi-Fi or near a cell phone tower, you can put one of these over your bed, or it could go over your couch or dining table or desk or any anywhere else that you want. And then so you'd have a sort of a small space, a small room, if you will, that can be shielded. Well, that's excellent. I just can't thank you enough for what you have chosen to do for the last 20 years. Um, now, I mean, it's almost like you've been building and getting ready because now people are you know, they're starting to experience problems and looking for solutions. So we're really happy that you've, you're already up and running. And we thank you so much for um, spending your time with us this evening. And we're going to look you're forward very welcome. to having there's, you back. There's lots more we can talk about. If you're interested, we can do it again sometime. Oh, that would be wonderful. I know Lavendar wants to have you back already. So I appreciate your spending time with us this evening. Thank you so much. And everyone, make sure you visit lessemf.com. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Emil de Toffel. You're very welcome. And, uh, you're so, we're so welcome, too. So we are going to say good night now. And on behalf of all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we will be back next week. As uh, Lavendar said, we're going to be doing a series of these shows. So by the time we're done, um, you'll have all the tools that you need to protect yourself and your family. So until next week, everyone, take care and look for something to be grateful for every day. Good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 